The following podcast is a Dear Media production. It's That's So Retrograde. It's that time again. Stephanie Simbari. Beaming in from the universe, Elizabeth Cott. What a joy it is to announce today's guest. Yes. I'm just going to say it right off the top because it. it is important and it's special. We've got presidential candidate Marianne Williamson joining us. We're so thrilled that she is joining us to talk about running for president and the experience mm-hmm. and the consciousness she is bringing into politics on a new level and it's just such a treat. Yeah, And we'll get to that in a second. We will. Stephanie, yeah. I thought maybe we could talk about a little bit where we were this past weekend. Oh, my God. We had the best weekend. Fuck. I want to go back. I want to go back so bad. We went to a wedding of our friend Britt Elkin and her husband, Billy. And holy shit. I mean, I love weddings. I do, too. Like, I think when I was a younger version of myself, I hated them because I was like, resentful of love or something mm. and um I didn't understand that it's just like a really fun party that someone throws and you get to dress up and just like drink a for celebration free celebration of union yeah, yeah. And celebrating the best thing and it was in Santa Barbara and it was Montecito. Montecito and we got an Airbnb you me and my brother Stevie and our friend Allie G and it was so fun like what was our highlight I would have to say and I'm just gonna like with love to our uh, Dear Media family, mm-hmm. Whitney Port of the With Wit podcast. Oh She's also God. obviously been on our show. We've been on hers. We adore her. Guys, but we got to hang out. Like and for real, for real. What a delightful human. When we were leaving, I was like, so are we best friends now? <laughs> I was like, I can't let you leave this realm without you knowing how much I need you in my life. So shout out to Whitney for be- and her husband, Timmy, for being the most fun. Timmy's so fun. I loved our morning snuggle sesh where you and Steven forcefully made me listen to Britney Spears' deep cut B-sides. Yeah, we're good at that. We're really good at identifying the unsung heroes of the Britney Spears catalog. Also, shout out to having sex at a wedding. (laughs) Guys, the dry spell's over. Everyone give me a clap. Rejoice. Thank you, Megan. (laughs) She gets it. What a great place to find a fun connection. Yeah. I loved it. It really is. In in celebration of union and love, finding union and love for the evening. Uh, Or hopefully further. (laughs) If you're listening, call me. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, um, let's just get right to... Today's conversation. Yeah. In a political act, please welcome Marianne Williamson. Well, continuing our legends only theme that we've been having lately, we are so (laughs) thrilled to welcome author, teacher, activist, presidential candidate, and probably the most eloquent person I've ever heard speak. Marianne Williamson, welcome to the show. Yay. We're applauding. Thank you for everything. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. This is so exciting. We have this term on the show called manifest destiny. And um, you're truly a fulfillment of that. And so it's just amazing to be sitting here with you, especially after watching you on the world's largest stage, presidential candidacy. It's a real trip to have you in studio. Thank you so much. It's wild. The last time we spoke, I was choking back tears. I don't know if you remember. She never cries. I never cry. So, (laughs) and it was really because the conversation you're 
bringing into your campaign um, around politics has been so moving and speaking so many truths to my heart. And so I really think the only thing I can do to to repay you in all of the work that that you have done that's helped me and like so many others is we just wanted to have you here to, to talk to our audience about what is driving this call to to run for president and how we can all support you. Thank you. So thank you for you being know, here. It's not just I got stuck a little bit on the word repay you because mm. I think that politics is a co-creative act among all of us. You know, the problem is that politics has been turned into the spectator sport. This is about us, not about me, mm. in a very real sense. So if you see a political candidate, any political candidate, whose views and consciousness are such that you want them in a leadership position, you're supporting them. It's not just supporting them. It's co-creating with them that possibility. And that's an important point. Right. It's so true. Like, we never really think about that. We kind of, we create characters out of people in that position. And then we were voting for, like, personality or, like, someone I'd like to hang out. And we forget that we're voting for, like, policy and things that really affect who we are. And I feel like that's partially why we're where we are. Absolutely. We've lost our psychological and emotional bonding yeah. with what democracy is and what it means. Yeah. I mean, you can't complain that power is placed more in the hands of corporations than people if the people ourselves have not been using our power. Right. Have been looking at it in ways that are not as deeply uh, responsible um, and honoring of ourselves as they should be. What do you feel like is the biggest way in which we've, as a collective, kind of lost our way as far as like our values or, you know, what we thought we were being fed versus what we actually were consuming? Well, back in the 1980s, we bought into this very amoral mm -hmm. uh, economic system called trickle-down economics, right? which promulgated the idea that all the corporation owed was fiduciary responsibility to its own stockholders, Okay, even if that was at the expense of the worker or at the expense of the community mm -hmm. or at the expense of the environment. Mm -hmm. And that amoral economic system has had immoral consequences in that the money that those corporations are allowed to spend is so great that money is used to influence Congress, to influence our leaders, and thus to influence public policy mm. to the point where our government does more to advocate for short-term profits for huge corporate entities than it does to advocate for our safety, our health, and our planet. So whether it's contaminants in our water or carcinogens in our food or toxins in our air or selling pesticides that we know harm a child's brain or squeezing people economically so much, people not having health care, people not able to pay for their kids to go to college, people not getting out from under their college loans, violence in the streets. There are so many ways that terrible societal pathology and dysfunction has arisen out of the out out of this um, uh, initial cause of such a massive transfer of wealth right. into the hands of a very few people over the last 40 years. But then why do people not connect the dots on that? Well, look at the things that you that you guys said since the beginning of this podcast, and you're both very intelligent women, but we have had a culture of distraction. Right. A culture of distraction, culture just thinking something else, and the system has thrived on our, our lack of focus. Right. This is so whereas politics should be educational, it has actually been turned more into entertainment. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is very, very serious damage that has been done. Now, 
the system, and this is not conscious. You know, when a, when a society has a blind spot, it's no different than when an individual has a blind spot. Mm-hmm. By definition, that's what it means. It's blind. You don't even see it. So I'm not saying there are a few really evil people sitting in a room trying to figure out how to do all this. It's just the way the collective ego works. So this is the deal. It says to women like yourselves, you're good looking. You're smart. We'll make it easy enough for you. Mm. And then you're seduced. You're seduced. It right. doesn't matter. You making it is fine. You making it is fine because you end up actually feeding that system. Right. Because it's like, right. So yeah. it lures us away from really thinking on a daily basis about how hard it is for people just a few miles from here to even dream about doing what you're doing with their lives. Right. Then that's how it works. Right. So when you say why, you start to unravel it and see exactly why. So now we're at a point where enough of us realize that I don't care what the public policy is, it will get to your private door. Like, for instance, you guys talk about health and wellness. Great. Good luck with all that green juice and good luck with all that uh, gluten-free when the, the contaminants are in every glass of water the way they are. And if you think that it's enough, oh, well, I can just buy bottled water. Because they'll say, that's fine, the market will fix it. Or you could say, well, I could go to Whole Foods. Once again, what about the people who can't dream of being able to afford or going to Whole Foods? What about the people who can't, they live in food deserts where they can't even get they can't even get fresh produce. It's that that is the crux of the thing. Like I have friends who still kind of where I grew up who like are Republican. I'm using that in quotes because like what does that even mean anymore? But it comes from this root of like I just work for myself. I don't right. identify my privilege. I don't care what the implications of my behaviors are are right. on the other people. And right. as long as I'm doing fine, mm-hmm. that's kind of all. That matters. And I think that's like the weird American thing that is really problematic. Well, what we have always honored about our character, which is rugged individualism, mm-hmm. has turned now into rugged narcissism. Yes. So what you just said is an illusion left over from the 20th century. Yes. We now live in a world of such interconnection mm-hmm. that it's not even a matter, even if you're not doing it for moral reasons, you are insane if you think that you can have great numbers of desperate people made even more desperate mm-hmm. by continuing policy and that someday not affecting your life. Right. Because there is no amount of money that any of us can make that completely could wall us off from the consequences of the societal pathology that would emerge if systems really begin to collapse. Right. Yeah. I mean, just clean water is like is an example of that. Or public policy where... You know, even though we had 9-11, we still dwell in a little bit of la-la land about the things that we think could not possibly happen here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking about that the other day when I was listening to the radio. About the Kurds? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what yes. I was thinking about. So they are, they are now, even as we speak, so they're releasing all these ISIS prisoners. <clears throat> yep. And the president has said, well, they're Europe's problem. Hello, it's well, not that far away. That's right. <laughs> that's like, exactly it's very right. close. That's exactly right. Like we act like we live on a literal different planet. That's right. It's right. so wild. And it's just magical thinking. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because most of us now have had enough experience that we most of us have either made the phone call or had the phone call made to us about someone that we love whose drinking or use of drugs is so great that people around that person, <clears throat> somebody says to somebody, do you think we ought to do something? Mm-hmm. 
And everybody knows what that means. Everybody knows, should we intervene? Should we stage an intervention? And why are we going there? We're going there because all of us are aware now, because of drugs and because of alcohol, that there, that the survival of the physical body is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. But we continue to live in, in la-la land and magical thinking that the survival of it in near this is guaranteed. The survival of your democracy is not guaranteed. And the way we are treating the earth, the survival of our species is not guaranteed. Now, this is what I know. We're smart people. And if a problem is put on the table, we can discuss it. Sure. If, if you had a friend who's serious, you have a friend who has cancer, you have a friend who's uh, drinking too much, you have a friend who's, who's using drugs too much, you have a friend whose business is going down. I have no doubt in my mind that the two of you would sit here and have a very sophisticated, get down, let's get real conversation about what we should do. That's not where the problem is. Yeah. I know that you would. That's Americans are not stupid, and we're noble, and we're decent, and we're good. The problem is not the average American adult. The problem is that the political system talks to us like we're stupid. And the political system has basically said to the two of you, what do you want us to do so you can continue to live in your bubble? Mm, like we can't handle... Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And and they, they have operatives and people who consult with them who would say, well, don't say anything too negative because mm-hmm. that might upset them. Or don't talk to them about what's happening over there. Right. They don't care about that. Right. When actually, I think you do. Yeah, of course. Of course. And so much of your campaign, one of the hashtags is big truths because mm-hmm. you are saying the thing. One of the things that I bump up against is like really... Everything you're saying about how just miles away, there's so much of the opposite of our day-to-day experience. That's right. What is your advice to young people like us to activate our own activism? Because in my mind, you're doing it in such an exemplary way. What can we do? Well, first of all, how old are you? 34. You're not that young. I was literally going to end up trying to be like, we're not young. got to get over them. You're not that young anymore. We're old. Thank you. I didn't hear that. (laughs) Sorry. I flagged it. My cosmetic derm would say differently, Marianne. (laughs) No, I'm just saying that you're like, hello. It's you're a full-on adult citizen. Own it. Thank you. Is what I'm saying. No, then what would a young person do? See how you're trained into in this area of thinking of yourself as it, it's a training it's of, of disempowerment. Yeah. Excuse me. So the issue, what would we do? The what what should you do? Know that if you see a as a middle-aged woman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but as a, certainly a grown woman, 34-year-old grown woman. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So the issue now is to realize that politics is important mm. because there's only so much you can do from the periphery. You can change the culture. I think we've changed the culture. You were talking about how health and wellness has exploded. We've already done it. But we need to apply the same kind of health and wellness thinking to health and wellness for the society. Yes. Health and wellness for the planet. Health and wellness for global civilization. And it's the same principles. But that cannot be done just from the private sector because that has to do with public policy. So you get involved if you want to get involved. You're a citizen of Los Angeles, citizen of California, and a citizen of the United States and a citizen of the world. That is so much power. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're an American woman, American women have so much power. And it's one of those things where you heal in life one aha at a time. Once you see, you can't not see. Who you are, you have power. Who you have on your podcast, what you say, 
what you just own. It's just a mental habit in life, owning your power. It's kind of like putting on a jacket and you've never had it before. Well, I had it on, but you just walk around and it feels right. And we have been infantilized yes. when it comes to politics. Just don't let yourself be a little girl about it. You're not a little girl. And yeah. then you have yeah. to face within yourself the obstructions to owning it. And there are fears. I think we all have probably cellular memory of being burned at the stake, but also the things that the society will hit you with if you dare to speak your mind. And I'm going through that in my in my campaign. Yeah. You start laying it down, they'll say all kinds of things about you. Yeah, we were going to ask you, like, what's been the most challenging part of, you know, the feedback? Well, I've had a career for 35 years that's dignified. Truly. And to just be trashed by people who don't know you. And, you know, there's this thing out there today. Let's build up my career by tearing someone else's down. Right. Especially where in the arena that you're in, it's fucking savage. Mm-hmm. It is just... But even then, it's all about people standing up for, for you and saying that's ridiculous. I've never heard her say that, never seen her talk like that, never seen that in one of her books. And that's where sisterhood comes in, too. Mm-hmm. If you see another woman going through that kind of thing, you show up and you stand up. Yeah. And you speak up. And yeah. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. That was one of the biggest things that I felt in my heart when we were at Ryan Weiss's house a number of months ago. I think mm-hmm. it was January of last mm-hmm. year. And you were speaking of... Or, even November of last year, rather. And um, you spoke about your intent to run. And in my heart, I just thought, oh, it's just such a nasty process. And you said something so smart. And you said, I'll only let that resonate if I believe it to be true. The neg- me, Speaking of like just negative press and whatever. Has that been able to hold up? Well, there have certainly been sad and frustrated moments and some angry moments. I saw an article in uh, New York Post by a woman who is a political editor for Bazaar Magazine. I assume she didn't print this article in Bazaar Magazine because I don't think her lawyers would have even allowed her to. Hmm. And the title of the article was that my I'm a danger to feminism. I'm thinking to myself, what? I was a feminist before you were born. <laughs> and her ideas are killing Americans. Okay, um, calm and, down. And I'll tell you something. A lot of those articles have been written by young women. That is, do you think it's just like a uh, sort of like twisted reflection of their own fears about I themselves I don't know or what it is because a lot of the people have written those articles. Teen Vogue did one as well. What? They're liberal women. Uh, uh, women who theoretically I'm aligned with. Right. Um, I don't know. Like they're just holding on to the old narrative no, so tightly or I something? No, I don't know. Something is going on here because all of that stuff was very intentional, well strategized there were talking points there that they were all using. But my point is, I might go through, uh, you know, an hour or two of how could they, and deep disappointment because that has had an effect. Of course. You know, that she's a wacky woo-woo candidate has had an effect. It has definitely had an effect. On the other hand, I keep going. Well, I keep going because my heart tells me to keep going. Mm -hmm. I keep going because there are a lot of people who either don't read those articles or know what... BS they are. I'm sorry, no one's really going to teen vogue for their political news. Well, I think some young women might be. Oh, actually. young. Right. You know? But we're not young. Yeah. So <laughs> we wouldn't know. Not your crap. I forgot That's about teen funny. vogue because I'm not a teenager. That's very funny. <laughs> you're young, darling. You're not, I said you're not that young. No, I, said no, you're not. I said you're not that young. Okay. I like make but, my Botox appointment but, immediately. There's something yeah. more than that, which is, the, which is the point that I think is what I wanted to make before. If you compare... What happens to us if we say something somebody doesn't like? 
compared to what happens to women in a country like, let's say, Iran. Right. I was reading just the other day about a girl in Iran who posted, did you see this? She posted her dancing. Oh, I did see that. It was kind of like flash flash dance type. Yeah. She was arrested. No way. She's in an Iranian jail. American women have no clue. Wow. The fact that you and I are sure today, no policeman is coming in here to say, shut down your podcast because of what you're talking about. Right. That I can say the kinds of critical things I say about our government, and I'm not going to be arrested for it. I'm not going to be tortured for it Mm -hmm. or worse. So I think we have to keep things in perspective here when people say, oh, you're so courageous. So what? They're going to be mean about me on the internet. They're going to say mean things about me in Vanity Fair. Um, does it have an effect on my on my campaign? Yes. But does it matter in the bigger scheme of things, given how important and necessary it is that we keep going to say the things that really need to be said in this society? No. And that's one of the gifts of age, by the way. Right. Because you're, you so, know, and don't be don't be scared of it. <laughs> no, I really appreciate you saying <laughs> that. I, you got decades <laughs> before you have to worry about that. But I also feel like you know you're saying it with such ease and confidence, and I really appreciate that, and it's so inspiring. But I also feel like I look at you as a woman of the generation before us, like probably more like our mother's generation, mm-hmm. and I know how difficult it was and rem- still is for like my mother, Elizabeth's mother, people like them to stand in their power. Like that's not something that was supported when you were growing up. So this is something well, very unique about you specifically. Well, my well, my generation is and the generations around me are the ones who busted through the doors. Yeah, but then I feel like they've receded a little bit. I, I have my from my perspective. Well, we're not a monolith. Yeah. There are many women yeah. who went many different ways. I yeah. think the biggest thing for me was we had to fight for things that you guys don't have to fight for. Yeah. And so aspects of our personality develop fight. Mm. Fight. And parts where it's almost like we had to claw our way into rooms. And what I found, and what I think a lot of women my age found, is that once the doors swung open and we said to ourselves, okay, I can take the claws off, mm-hmm. they become cemented. Okay, Marianne, mm. you can stop fighting now. Well, it's become an emotional habit pattern. Right. So I think when women or any formerly disempowered people first get power. We have hundreds of years of not having had it backed up and we come out too strong. Interesting. So then we go through a period of time where you're either yelling it when all you had to do was say it Mm -hmm. or keeping it in and finding that place where, no, I will not be quiet, Mm -hmm. but neither do I have to be unkind or mean about it when I say it. It takes years. That's beautiful. It takes years. Yeah. All right. We got to talk about something... (laughs) Really important. Tell. More important than the presidential. Nope, just kidding. Wow. Not that important, but Mm. it's very important. I'm talking about- Saving money. Saving money (laughs) online whilst looking up coupon codes, which is something that I've been doing for years. Yes. And then I came across Honey, which takes all of that rigorous typing work, searching work, Googling work out of the equation Also, may I just say, as a- uh, Novice? As a novice of the internet, (laughs) I just figured it out. I type in like um, discount codes and then I go to like some weird website and then I'm like sorting through all these codes that don't end up working. Right. Is that common? That is common. That was literally my entire experience 
in shopping online up until I discovered Honey, which is a plugin for your browser that you download once. And then it basically filters in every coupon code sale or discount of over 20,000 sites that you may shop on, like Amazon, Macy's, J. Crew, Domino, Sephora, Target, and more. Yeah, so basically you download this free browser extension and then they scan the internet for coupon codes and discounts and then they let you know where the prices are across the internet. It's genius. It's literally like, why is this the first time we're hearing of this? <laughs> so good. The other day, I there's a certain type of eyelash, fake eyelash that I like to buy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I got to get a few. I like to get them in bulk. Was sure, on sure. Amazon. Right. Found them. Specific style number. Got a bulk of four of them. And Honey came up and it was like, you are getting the best price for this purchase. And it's also like, just like a lovely little pat on the back, a little hug. Thank you so that much, That says you're honey. doing a good job. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Honey. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Did you think they named it Honey because it was like a gal pal? Yeah. <laughs> or like a, like a sweet mom? A sweet mom or a sweet auntie. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So you can get Honey for free. Just go to joinhoney.com slash retrograde. Mm-hmm. So that lets them know that we sent you. Mm-hmm. And you download it. It takes mere seconds. And uh, then you're off to the internet shopping races. So exciting, you Again, guys. that is joinhoney.com slash retrograde. Get out there and save money. We love you. What about the most positive thing that was unexpected throughout <clears throat> this campaign process? Just how wonderful people are. Mm. How wonderful people are. How smart people are. How, how much yearning people have to see America be good. You know, it can't be great if we're not good. It's how much people really want this country to be aligned with a, a, a publicly moral vision where all public policy should be based on the idea that it should help people thrive. Mm. That's where peace comes from. Yeah. That's where prosperity comes from. It's like you were talking about with health and wellness. That's We all want a healthy society. We all want a well society. How much people want to feel inspired for doing something very differently than we've been doing it. Right. And like, how do we get there? Well, you get there. First of all, through our own private behavioral changes, mm-hmm. but also through changes in public policy. We have to take the money out of politics. Otherwise, too much of our health policies will be dominated by short-term profits for health insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies. Our gun safety policies will be dominated by gun manufacturers. Our food policies will be dominated by uh, food companies and chemical policies. Our environmental policies will be dominated by fossil fuel companies. And our national defense agenda will be dominated by the defense industry. If you want that to change... You have to elect the people who will change it. So how do you foresee us like shifting that around? Well, if if you think that my candidacy, for instance, is an example of that, yeah. you're already doing we it, did. first of all, <laughs> by having me on your podcast, <laughs> yeah. which I very much appreciate, and by talking it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody knows how to create. There is no vortex for the creation of buzz more powerful than women in Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, this is where my career started. Yeah. My career as a speaker started here. You start a new conversation in L.A., the world. Yeah. I mean, I know that from my own professional trajectory. Because in L.A., L.A. has comfort with new conversations. Yes. L.A. doesn't. That's why we're all here. The gold rush, baby. Yeah, it is the gold rush. Yeah. So California, you know, I always felt that no other city but L.A. would have given me my career. Because in other cities, ew, why are you doing that? Ew, that's not the way we've been doing that. Mm-hmm. Whereas L.A. is, oh, that's interesting. That's new. That's cool. Let's all talk about it and tell everybody. Right. That's L.A. So 
social media, talking to people. And I found, I found in this campaign, and this is my own ego that I have to burn through, a little disappointment. Interesting. And some of the people who I know would agree with this, but aren't showing up in some of the ways that I would have thought. Okay, I was wondering about this. We actually spoke about this recently in reference to what you're doing, where I feel people are so gun-shy around getting involved with politics. as Brand protection. Right, but there's not really a fucking risk. I'm sorry. It's not like it's that big of a deal. I notice on my Instagram how often Deepak Chopra will like something. Danielle Laporte will like something. Mm. They know the gift they're giving me. They know that thousands of people are seeing that they liked it. And some of my girlfriends who I never see you doing that, I never see you retweeting my thing, and you know how many thousands of people listen to you. Mm -hmm. So that's my own ego. That's obviously I had expectations. But I'm like, wow. Wow. Well, I just think, you know, when you talk about, you you said earlier how the health and wellness community has exploded, how the new spirituality has exploded. We have numbers. We have so much influence, this larger community of health and wellness, spirituality, transformation, 12 steps, psychotherapy, personal growth. We have the numbers. What we don't have is the mental habit patterns Mm -hmm. to support political campaigns. And also what you were saying a moment ago about the timidity and the, mm-hmm. for what? Who are, what are, you are we never going to stand for something? Yeah. I mean, I, but I think after all the wackadoodle stuff, maybe not, you know, putting your finger in the wind and well, maybe I'll get branded with that, which once again, it's like, really? As opposed to saying that's so not true. So right. it's been an interesting ride. Or yeah, it's like basically like agreeing with it by being passive about it. That's exactly right. Also, it, it's like you it, already it, have If you're that, silent, yeah. it's a way of saying, well, maybe it's true. Yeah. And you already have that brand. I'm assuming not you, but these people already on some level are in like the That's right. quote woo space. And also, I just thought this, which I think is like, why are we not saying this? You might be a spiritual leader, but f- they talk about God in politics non-fucking-stop. Just because it comes from a white man with seven chins, does that mean it's more palatable? Sorry. No, I love that. That was really funny. You know, and thank you for saying that. You're welcome. And it should be said. Yeah. It should be said. And I appreciate your saying it. It's time for some grit, guys. God bless America. Okay, cool. And we like to think we're such empowered women. But that's a very disempowered thing to keep your mouth shut when another woman's being ripped apart. Especially when I think of how many women have said to me, I wouldn't have my career if you you hadn't opened up a certain space with your career. We could definitely say that well, about this show. Well, yeah. I really appreciate that. But you're showing up for me, and I appreciate that, and you're showing up with me. But I'd love to see that even more. I think that you should be—you. I know you don't need me to empower you, but I don't think it's like— your ego, I think that you're having like a judgment about that. And when really it's like, you're just fucking calling it out. Like it's true. It's easier though for you to say them. For right. Me. Cause I'm seeing it from a distance. Course, well, no, yeah. no, I don't even think it's that you're seeing it from a distance. It's we're both seeing the same thing. Right. But if it's me saying it, it sounds whiny. Right. It sounds, whereas you saying it is, listen, there's certain things. Don't worry. I'm coming out it in has front be, for you, Mary. Yeah, it has <laughs> to be other people's. I mean, right. well, that's just life. Yeah. You know? Just in general, as a citizen, I'm disappointed at the, the cycle we're in of the amount of money that it takes to it's get your obscene. voice heard. It is absolutely obscene. Like we've raised $6 million and that's called just squeaking by. Which is wild. Just yes. squeaking by. Isn't that obscene? Yeah. yeah. So the, the issue is, the issue is if you want that, then you have to elect somebody 
who is going to first and foremost, even like Hillary Clinton had said repeatedly what she wanted was a Supreme Court justice who would enable the court to be constituted such that they would overturn Citizens United. Well, hello. We have someone who's put two conservatives on the court. It's going to be probably not, certainly probably not in my lifetime that we'll overturn Citizens United. But we can have public funding for federal campaigns. We could have working towards a constitutional amendment. But you have to elect the people who will make it happen. You can't stand on the sidelines and just bitch and moan about stuff like that. You have to elect the people who will do it. Right. Your platform is that of a politics of love. I think some people can receive that as soft and gentle. Explain to us what that means to you. What that means to me is that if you have, as we do, 13 million hungry children in America, 100,000 homeless children in America, millions of American children who go to school in classrooms that they don't even have the school supplies to teach a child to read, and if you can't read by the age of eight, the chances of high school graduation are drastically diminished, and the chances of incarceration are drastically increased. What does a politics of love do? It says that you feed your children that you have policies that actually work to eradicate poverty and eradicate hunger, which we used to have. For instance, in the 1960s, we, uh, President Johnson had, had a, literally, he called it a war on poverty. And he had something called the Office of Economic Opportunity. And money would be given directly to community agencies that through health, through, uh, through economic opportunity, through all kinds of ways would lead towards uh, poverty alleviation. In the 1980s, when all of this other stuff was happening, what they did was they changed it to what's called block grants. They would still give the money, but you give it in block grants to states. And then if the states are in in the hands and under the control of those who really don't want that money to go to poverty alleviation, they have the right to use it for whatever they want. What does a politics of love do? The politics of love puts feeding hungry children your resources with which to feed hungry children before resources that would just increase uh, subsidies to huge corporate entities. For instance, we paid $26 billion a year last year in subsidies to oil and gas alone. I don't see what's soft about that. I don't see what's, I think there's something very fierce about that. A woman who says this baby gets fed before you even get close to the food. Right. Th- th- I don't see what's soft about that. You know, among the hyenas, the adult female hyenas encircles the babies while they're feeding and will not let the adult males get anywhere near the food until the babies have been fed. Mm-hmm. That's a functional species. That's a species where the women, the adult female of the species is doing what actually in all advanced mammalian species that do. And that is fierce behavior on the part of the adult female, which she senses a threat to her cubs. Another thing politics of love does is it says, why are we spending so many hundreds of billions of dollars in our military budget that go over and beyond what the military says they need only to increase short-term profits for defense contractors. I'll give you an example. The U.S. Air Force has ordered 100 airplanes called the B-21 Raiders. Now, the B-21 Raider costs $560 million each. Per plane? Per plane. We've ordered 100 of them, and each one of them drops not, I love how <laughs> both of you, both of you are looking, both we're of you are like, like, uh-huh. yeah, I, I love both of you, your body language. <laughs> Tony, okay, more. now listen to this. Listen to this. Listen, this is great. We're so okay. synced. That's good. I know. So, so we, we practiced that for months. Each one of them costs $560 billion, but the, million, million. But this is the thing. Each one of them drops not only conventional weapons. A bomber does drop bombs. Right. 
but it also drops nuclear bombs. What? So now, hear me out here. 100 airplanes, 560 million each, and they all drop nukes. Now you tell me, why do we need 100 airplanes that drop nuclear bombs? Because you drop five of those, it's over for human civilization as we know it. Literally. You drop 10 of those, it's probably over for the species. Yeah. So what does a politics of love do? It says, well, if I have 25% of all children in northern New Hampshire go to sleep hungry at night, and you're telling me that I'm going to order 100 airplanes for 560 million each. That has, n- I, I say you feed the babies before you just increase short-term profits for huge nuclear and defense industries. 100%. That's what a politics of love does. It puts peace and prosperity, real prosperity. Prosperity comes from not from just 1% of the population of corporate aristocrats. It goes to feeding the creativity and the productivity of the American people. Mm. All public policy should be aligned with that which helps people thrive. Yeah. Do you think this is like one of the biggest like misconceptions on your campaign? Because I, I saw you on Trevor Noah, which I thought was really amazing. And he had kind of asked you a similar question where he talked about, you know, you kind of have said said firm things about Trump. And he's like, how does that align with love? And do you feel like, because I feel like that was an interview that I saw that I was like, wow, that's really the message that she needs to be coming out in front up with, because it was clearly, like, not soft. It was not, There's it was nothing. a misconception love, about love. Love is fierce. Yeah. Love is gritty. What we would do, think of what you would do for the people that you love. Anything. And also, if Martin Luther King said it or Gandhi said it, those who have turned it into a caricature yeah. have done that for a reason. They yeah. did it because I was the most Googled candidate in 49 states yeah. uh, after the second debate. Most of the people in the health and wellness space know how those mind games work on personal levels. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Right. And it's the same. It's gaslighting. It's the sociopath. It's people getting you off the set. They want to throw you off. It's not too hard to figure out once you just put your focus on doing that. And I just love like the framing of tough, like the love as like a tough endeavor, because I feel like that's a general thing that it bothers both of us about spirituality in general, where it's like people are like love and light, and then they're all twisted and confused and not really in there alignment. Was, well, we talk about not doing a spiritual bypass Yes, in our personal lives. Yes. It's the same thing. We shouldn't do a, a spiritual bypass in our collective and also yeah. in our community. There has been this chronic political disengagement under the guise of spirituality, mm-hmm. which is absurd. It's, that's not transcendence. That's denial. Mm-hmm. That's just finding it very convenient to put a spiritual veneer over your unwillingness to get dirt under your fingernails yeah. and protect your own brand. Yeah. Call it a lot of things. Don't call it spiritual because there's nothing spiritual about it. There is no religious or spiritual path anywhere that gives any of us a pass on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. Yeah. That's yeah. why, you know, when my career started here, out of my early Course in Miracles lectures, we started Project Angel Food. Our, our work as spiritual seekers was never separated from showing up for the sufferer. And with Project Angel Food, you were feeding AIDS patients and HIV-positive patients throughout Los Angeles, correct? Yes, yeah. and today it has fed over 12 million meals. Incredible. Wow. It is incredible. That's how this city showed up. But it, it, it emerged from those Course in Miracles lectures where we knew that we couldn't just sit there every Saturday morning or Tuesday night talking about love when all these people were dying around us. Let's take a pause. Time out. For all of those who are feeling uh, 
young at heart, mm. might not be showing up on the face, mm. or maybe it is. It's 2019 and it's time to talk honestly about all the latest beauty, skincare, and medical aesthetics treatments out there. If you're curious about injectable fillers, facials, and everything in between, I've got a great resource for you. Tell us. Thespotlight.com. That's S-P-O-T-L-Y-T-E. Spotlight is your destination for information about beauty, skincare, and medical aesthetics. With Spotlight, it's like reading your favorite magazine, interesting and full of expert insights that you can use to make your own decisions. You can easily chat with trained aesthetic specialists if you have specific questions. Then if you decide to move forward with any aesthetic treatment, Spotlight makes it easy to find local licensed providers with their database of over 30,000 healthcare professionals. If you love beauty and skincare or are curious to learn more about medical aesthetics, me, me, go to thespotlight.com slash retrograde. That's spotlight, S-P-O-T-L-Y-T-E dot com slash retrograde. Get those questions answered. Get it all worked out, friends. Now back to the show. Why did you want to run for president? I wanted to run for president because of all the things that we've been talking about here today. Yeah. Somebody's got to say this. Right. And if we don't lay it down with this much kind of brutal truth-telling, yeah. then it's not going to change. Yeah. And I, for 35 years, have been someone who, whatever skill set I have, has to do with articulating sometimes inconvenient truths, but the truths that we have to be honest about in order for our lives to transform. Yeah. You know, my career has not been made up of talking to people who just everything was going great. Right. People don't usually come to me because things are going so well. Right. <laughs> and, and I've seen what we have to do in our lives if we want to transform a crisis into an opportunity. But one of the things we have to do is to be real. Yeah. If the test results didn't come out as you wished, and it is cancer, you expect the doctor to be honest with you about the fact that it's cancer, then you can talk about your healing options. And that's what a politician should do. Mm -hmm. But so many politicians talk to us like we're stupid. And I believe that we need a politics of far more radical truth-telling. And I also believe that nothing less than that will defeat Donald Trump. The only thing to, way to defeat outrageous lies is with outrageous truths. Yeah. Well, I feel like they are scared of you because they know that you would get to Washington and not put your tail between your legs and take the money and shut your mouth. And that's not what they want. Well, I, I do want to say here, I'm not saying that other candidates would quote unquote take the money. No, but they're, they're nice people. The game. Yeah, it's yes, it's it's a corrupt that's system. I mean. It's not the individuals. And also yeah. in terms of the individuals, it's the issue of there's a political mindset that's stuck in the twentieth century. It's stuck in a very mechanistic model. It's not holistic. It's not integrative. It's all about treating symptoms, yeah. but not treating cause. Like, for instance, they'll talk about how to pay for health care, which is extremely important. But we also have to talk about why there is so much chronic illness to begin with. I love we have it. to talk Thank about you. food yeah. policies. We have to talk about chemical policies, contaminants in the water, carcinogens in the food, toxicity in the air, environmental policies, even economic policies that cause so much stress. Yeah. That model doesn't go there. And one of the reasons it doesn't go there is because of how much money is being given to politicians by the food companies, chemical companies, and so forth. Yes. Same thing with mental health. Everybody talks about we need more mental health treatment. We do. And we also have to ask ourselves, why are so many people so depressed to begin with? Mm -hmm. Why is there so much anxiety? Why is there so much outsized stress? 
And in what ways do public policies actually contribute to the despair and the isolation and the anxiety that people feel on a daily basis? Yeah. Because of lack of opportunity. Yeah. Because of lack of the ability to to live life a life that makes you feel like you can soar and spread your wings. That makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. So I just I, I'm not saying that I'm the only person in the world who could talk about a larger integrative vision of where our society could go. I'm not even saying I'm the best person in the world who could do that best. I am the only person, however, running for president of the United States mm-hmm. who is doing that. Yeah. Are there other candidates who you feel like a connection to or people that you'd really like to work with? They're very nice people. Joe Biden has been very kind to me. Bernie's been wonderful to me. Elizabeth's been wonderful to me. Corey's been very kind when I see him book her. Kirsten Gillibrand, when she was on the campaign, was always very kind to me. So, yeah, these are nice people. This is not about... And Andrew, Andrew and I are are friends. He's wonderful. Tulsi's very lovely. Yeah. Uh, I I like them as people. This is nothing... Uh, you know, yeah. these are, I don't feel I'm running against anyone. I'm running with a lot of really good people. Yeah. But I do feel very, very strong about this. If you want a change, if you want an actual pattern disruption, well, then you have to vote for someone who is actually speaking the conversation of actual pattern disruption. Yeah. You know, I've heard some people say, it's so good she's in the race and she's elevating the conversation. <laughs> yeah. What the hell does that mean? Yeah, We need to elevate the country now, yeah. not just elevate a conversation. If all I want to do is elevate a conversation... I'll you do what I've been doing. I kind of that's what Saban. I do. Is write another book. <laughs> right. yeah. I write another book. Yeah. And then people love you and are nice to you and, you know, buy a book. <laughs> that's not what this is. This is different now. This is actually talking about a change in policy. Yeah. Actually uh, establishing a Department of Children and Youth. Actually changing the immoral way that we base our educational funding primarily on property taxes so that children of well-to-do parents have a very good chance at a fine public school education, but children who are not might be those in, in classrooms that don't even have glue sticks and paper. Yeah. We need a massive realignment of investment in the direction of children, particularly 10 years old and younger. And people who are just talking about universal preschool, we have children who are traumatized before preschool. We need wraparound services, anti-trauma, a trauma-informed education, psychological and emotional learning skills. We need so much more than what 20th century political paradigm even knows how to discuss. Even like I was in a courtroom for like a traffic violation mm-hmm. about a year ago, mm-hmm. and there's all these people who in the courtroom who had all these different like tickets. And then the judge was like, hold on a second. Raise your hand if you make under $20,000 a year. And then so many people raised their hand. And then she was like, you're all free to go. Of course. Like, none of you need to pay these tickets. That, this is oh, ridiculous. Beautiful. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's incredible. Okay, so let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, that that was a politicizing moment for you. Full on. That is 43. That's poverty. Yeah. That's, that's so poor. 43 million Americans. And 93 million live in near poverty. They were all in the courtroom. It was wild. She made them all stand up, sign their paperwork, and she was just, and then there was like literally eight of us left. It was like, because she knew that that was not fair. One of the guys was in a wheelchair and was arrested for like panhandling outside of like a cold stone. And she was like, because, you know, they had to like tell their story like a little bit. All right. So can we talk for a moment about why it's against the law to panhandle in front of the cold stone? Would love to. Okay. So the way the system operates is instead of the system making it easier for that man, the system spends its resources passing laws to make him have to do it elsewhere so as not to upset you. 
I mean, fuck off. Well, we have a similar really That's disheartening awful. law here where those who are experiencing homelessness who are inside the tents aren't allowed to be in their tents, inside their tents during the day, which is so, it's dangerous. Whereas it's being framed as it's a danger to us as citizens for having them be behind in like an enclosed area. Yeah, but we should be talking about how they got there in the first exactly. place, not the fact that right. they're there. Right. We should be talking about the lack of opportunity, the lack of resources, mm-hmm. the lack of education, the lack of health care. Clearly it's has not thrown a money so thing. many people into a homelessness situation. Right. Like based on your plane story, I'm just like, there's obviously money well, in yes, the world. The issue in the United States is not lack of money. It's where we put our money. Right. If you're giving a 2017 $2 trillion tax cut, where 83 cents of every dollar went to the highest earners and richest corporations. That needs to be repealed. We have, as I mentioned before, the corporate subsidies, something like $26 billion to uh, oil and gas alone. We actually subsidize companies to take their companies to other countries. So that because they will make more money for their stockholders, the company, will, uh, the government in many cases actually subsidizes companies for leaving Wow. When in fact, it should be the opposite. Your tax penalty should be leaving. Tax incentives should be staying. Yeah. And right? Make people work of for course, you. Of course. Of course. Exactly. <laughs> it's not complicated once you look at it. Yeah. Right. So w- what happens is then we talk about those people who are left without jobs. They used to have jobs. They used to have dignity. They used to have health care. And then we're wondering about what to do about them as homeless or what to do about them as drug addicts. How about what to do about their despair to begin with? Yeah. And how much of your policies actually created this? But that's what happens when your public policy is driven more by the influence of those corporate entities that want to just increase their own stockholder value rather than include all people as a stakeholder in what happens in corporate America. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're talking about a government that actually does care about the people. Well, that's if you want that, then you're going to have to vote for that. Yeah. If you want, if you want a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, for which people have died, then you're going to have to take it back because right now it is not a government of the people, by the people, for the people. It is a government of a few of the people, by a few of the people, for a few of the people. Some of which are very, very nice people. This is not about individuals. Not every wealthy person is a greedy bastard. Yeah. And not every poor person is noble and pure. Yeah. But we do have a situation, and and I don't believe that the American, the average American who creates wealth in this country, wants to feel that it was at the expense of other people having the chance to. And the problem is not that people can get rich in America. That's a beautiful thing. The problem is not enough people have a real shot at it today. And if you want that to change, you have to get involved in politics. What does your campaign need to keep going? Money and buzz. Okay. Money and buzz. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, on it, talking about it, talking to your friends, standing up, making your own. You've been so kind. I so appreciate it with the podcast. Everybody hears this who believes it. Make your own video. Talk about right. it. Put it on your own Instagram page. Right. Uh, and, and donations also. I think a lot of people, part of the whole issue about lack of habit, I think a lot of people think, well, what's my $10 going to do? The truth is $10 a month. I mean, our average donation is a little over $22. Right. So, you know, your highest is 2800 but not everybody's can or, or, or would, but any amount at all. And when people start doing it on a regular basis, just participating makes yeah. you feel good. I know in my own life, you know, you don't have as much despair about a subject 
when you're doing something about it. Right. Hope is born of participation in hopeful solutions. So, like, I remember my mother used to make fun of me. I remember my mother being at my house one day, early days of my career before my book came out or anything like that. And I had all these pieces of, of paper on my bed. And my mother said, what's that? And I said, well, I'm deciding who to give money for. To, who to give money to this month? And she starts laughing. What money? <laughs> yeah. And I said, well... This, this one is for childhood leukemia. And they're asking for $16 a month. I'm very serious. And my mother's trying to contain her laughter. Yeah. And I say, now, this one, this one is for to help the rivers because the rivers, you know, the rivers are dying, mommy. And I go through all these things and I'm considering $7, $16. And my mother, she said, you're the only poor, poor philanthropist I've ever known. <laughs> See, I was in the habit. Yeah. Because if people started talking about childhood, I remember it was the Danny Thomas thing, the leukemia thing. Mm -hmm. So anytime somebody talked about childhood leukemia, I was sending 16 a month. Right. And I remember I would feel, yeah, we're on that. Yeah. (laughs) I get the stuff from them. We're handling it. I get the stuff from them and I know what they're doing every year. Yeah. You're right. I felt it was, you know, the universe starts sending zeros. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So I, you don't, you don't wait till you have money to give. You give with what you have. Absolutely. Also, like time. You can always give your time. Volunteering. We need people to volunteer. If you uh, go to Marianne 2020, we'll have you volunteer from wherever. Yeah. Because we have people on the phone making phone calls, texting, all that kind of stuff. So you don't have to, you can live anywhere. And also for those, I don't know where all your audience is, but for those in California, California is an early primary state now and I'm going all over. So, you know, once people go to Marianne 2020, get on the mailing list, people just decide whether or not to be involved. Yeah. So the campaign trail, we can only imagine, is an insane schedule. What are you doing to stay grounded as like any type of personal practice, self-care ritual, or is that like out the window? No, it can't be out the <laughs> it window. It can't be out the window. No, your, your nervous system suffers if it's out the window. Sure. I think the most I'm so aware of is how important sleep is. Mm. So sleep is very important. Yoga is important. Meditation is important. And trying to practice what I preach. I've never been in a situation that is so such a challenge to everything I say I believe in. So there's a lot of get over yourself, Marianne. Stop whining, Marianne. Stop having an expectation, Marianne. You mean in your own head? Pardon? In your own head yeah, conversation? Yeah, yeah, sure. Just stay quiet about that, Marianne. Be aware, Marianne. Anybody could have a phone a video right now. <laughs> Somebody made some comment earlier today. It was so funny. And I just, you have to be so aware when you are doing something like this, Mm -hmm. right? People are listening. Now, this is the thing. I understand why the traditional politician basically doesn't say much. (laughs) Because I'm aware that anything you say that doesn't fit the mold or that might be a constant miss, you know, at the slightest misspeak is going to be used against you. So it's a constant challenge to be spontaneous, to be relevant, and yet to be savvy. Well, especially in this particular moment in history, Mm -hmm. everyone is so trigger happy with taking things out of context, being too sensitive. And shutting people down. Yeah, which is wild. Right. And you see that on the left as much as on the right. Yeah. It's no longer, I don't agree with you. It's now shut up. Mm -hmm. Cancel culture. What is that about? It's horrifying. I think it, I personally, my assessment is that it, everyone had whiplash after what happened in 2016. And so they didn't want like anything to slip by. And then the internet gives a microphone to the tiniest chorus and can make it sound like it's general consensus. That's exactly yeah. right. 
which is my least favorite thing about where we are right now. It's true. Yeah. I mean, you know it's bad when comedians have to apologize. To me, that's just just in general. In general, it's like this thing where comedians are having to apologize for jokes. And to me, that's like the biggest indicator of a society that's a baby. It's because it's like, it's in the, it's in it. It's a joke. (laughs) I agree with you entirely. So if Or not only that, I don't agree with you. Yeah. That doesn't mean I have to apologize because you don't agree. Yeah. This is how I feel. Yeah. And we don't have to all agree to be able to have a shared experience. And yeah. I just, yeah. And in a free society, the whole point is that you don't have to agree. Mm-hmm. And nobody has the monopoly on truth. And that's what keeps us, I think, should keep us growing is to be able to disagree, have discourse, Absolutely. keep going. And learn from people who see it a different way than you do. Yeah. If we all agreed, we'd be like a weird, like... Um, well, it's called totalitarianism. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, we'd do. be in like an Ayn Rand book. That's right. So that's a kind of fascist tendency, emotional fascism, psychological fascism, that you see on the left as well as on the right. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's been like kind of a surprise to you as far yeah, as like... it has. Yeah. It has because I am a leftist. Right. Right. Even like, <laughs> I think like, you know, I, I speak with my, my mom who's very liberal about politics and she can be so cunty about everyone who she doesn't agree with. I'm like, how is this a liberal conversation if you're just slamming people? And I know that she's just the one that's in my ear, but I know that's like an epidemic. And it's, they're not realizing because they think that they're standing for the right thing. That's exactly. The, that's the issue. It, that, well, that's exactly, exactly right. Yeah. That's, that's, you said it. And you might be right, but you're going about it. But you're wrong. wrong. Yeah. Like, that's what I certainly learned from the course. If you're judging another person, you're wrong, even if you're right. Right. Has the course been a really, A Course in Miracles? Please, not yeah. sure. Has it been? Not um, all of us have read it. Has it been a grounding force? I'm sure. But how have you used it for the campaign specifically in your own? Oh, the. That forgiveness is everything, that centering yourself on love, that knowing when you wake up in the morning, you only want to go where God would have you go, do what God would have you do, say what God would have you say and to whom, and sending love before you walk into the room, um, that that's why you're in any situation just to serve love to the best of your ability to make your yourself available to the moment mm-hmm. in this kind of radical availability in any given moment that love might use your hands and use your feet, all that stuff. I think, if anything, in politics, it's important because it's something that would lure you into thinking there's something else going on. And there's never right. anything else going on. Oh, Marianne, thank you so much for sitting with us today. Thank you this so has much. Been a joy. so fun. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so Guys, much. Guys, head over to Marianne2020.com. Share this episode. Let everyone know the work Marianne is doing and that she's out there on the campaign trail. And there are so many amazing other interviews, appearances, go back and watch the debates, all of the things. I just feel like you've been such a star and important voice and I just want you to keep going and I'm just so stoked yes. Thank that you. we can be a part of it. Thank you so much, yeah. both of you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Today's Roses and Thorns is brought to you by our favorite daily ritual that is Rituals Essential for Women. It's a multivitamin, it's reimagined, and I like to take it daily. I love it. It's beautiful and it tastes good. What else is there? And what I love about them is that they have been an obsessively researched vitamin 
for women that we can take on a daily basis, making sure we're getting the essential nutrients we need and we can go about our day. From D3 to Omega-3 Rituals Essentials for Women help fill the gaps in a woman's diet. Again, they have their no-nausea capsule, which is gentle enough to take on an empty stomach because there's a mint tab in every bottle that keeps things fresh and you don't get fishy burps. Yeah. Love it. Also, if you go on their website, they're very transparent about where they source their ingredients. And for a lot of us out there with sensitive systems, actually all people should really be conscientious of what's going in vitamins. We don't need nasty fillers. We don't need shady production. We don't need, you know, a bad version of a B. Ritual is super traceable and transparent. Their product is vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free. Their sources are out there for the whole world to see. So you can go on their site and, like, see it all. And it gets delivered to you by a subscription that you can snooze at any point. So you don't feel have, – have you ever gotten to the point where you're like, I don't want this anymore, and then it's really hard to stop? Uh, yeah. That's not the case with Ritual. I really love how intuitive their website is. Mm -hmm. And it ends up coming out to being only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs. It's a worthy investment and they ship right to your door. You don't need to worry about a thing. That's wild. So I think everyone should head over to ritual.com slash retrograde and you will get 10% off for your first three months of your ritual subscription. So try it for three months, see how it goes. You're going to love it. Stick to it like we've done. You're going to love it. It's ritual.com slash retrograde. Enjoy, guys. Yeah. Now let's play the jingle. Hi. Roses and thorns. Okay, so I was talking in the top of the episode about, you know, having sex, which is great. But I had an experience prior to that which was so thorny. Okay. And I just, you know, I feel like my life in dating this year, I know this is not really relevant to the episode, but like, whatever, we're just, we're, we're, we cast a wide net over here. My, I'm in the politics of my vagina and this is what's going on with me. It's a politics of love, really. It really is. Some would say, <laughs> um, my, my journey this year has been challenging because on one hand, I've been really wanting to find connection and we've documented that. But on the other hand, I've also really become much more discerning and much more getting much more clear on like what I want, what's acceptable to let into my field, what's who's acceptable to let into my body and like just kind of shifting from like a more reckless, just like get after it kind of mentality to a much more like distilled, like wanting something good and healthy situation. So, but I have been open to having experiences and in the past month, I've had a couple of like weird people coming in. And I went on a date with this guy like right before the weekend who was like truly, I think, like a psychopath, like a like a really damaged person who has no like ability to really understand the implications of their like perpetuating their cycle of abuse on other people. And it was like, I felt so weird in the situation. I felt so bad. And I, but I also was like trying to see the good still. And I guess there's a rose in that I um, stepped back. But the thorn is just that like people who aren't healed shouldn't be trying to date. <laughs> like you really shouldn't be involving other people in your damage. It's so reckless and so selfish. And like, luckily I'm a very healed version of myself. So I could easily extricate myself from that situation. But it's just like, 
bums me out that this dude is just going to move on from like trying to get me to trying to get someone else and just perpetuate the pain that he's inflicting on himself. I will say side rose to that is that you realized it lickety split. Oh, in like five hours. (laughs) It was a a 12-hour turnover. No time wasted. No time wasted. On to the next. And I'm actually very glad. It was funny because we had gone to a movie and then he was like, do you want to come back to my place? And I was like, okay, like I'm really trying to get it in right now. I like, I could entertain like having sex with this person. So I went back to his place, but I was like on the fence of whether or not that was like the right move. I was like, it feels weird. It's like late. It's like a Wednesday. Like, I just don't know. And I went back there and I'm so happy that I did. And I saw like the depths of his psychosis because had I not allowed myself to go into it further, I would have spent like weird time considering him as an option. Yeah. Whereas like I saw it all right away and it it, it immediately was like a no. But had I not gone there, I would have gone on another, another date with him. And then I maybe wouldn't have been open to the thing that happened over the weekend because I would have like been thinking about the possibility of someone else. And instead it was just like this quick as fuck, like, no. Mm-hmm. But Ugh, it just made me feel so weird. Like, I left yeah. his place being like, I want to vomit slash cry. Like, and, it, and he didn't do anything to me. It was just like a gross sort of like experience. Yeah. And then yesterday, first of all, I like followed up with him after and I was like, that was weird. And he's like, no, it wasn't weird. We talked about how we need to have a deep connection to have sex. And we just don't have that. So we politely decided that we shouldn't go forward. And I literally was like, none of that happened. Like, he fully made up a conversation. A reframing in the Me Too era. Like, a crazy reframe. So I just go, got it, thinking I'll never talk to him again. Then last night he texted me, like, a joke. And I'm like, excuse me, um, this isn't the forum for you. You're not welcome in these this inbox. And my fucking rose is that I didn't respond. Do you know how hard that is? That's hard for you. It's, it's very easy for me to not respond. I <laughs> have such a hard time not responding. I, A, want to put him in his is place. Is that a Scorpio thing? I don't know what it is. I want to put him in his place. I want to let him know that he's a piece of shit. I want to tell him that his reframe was psychotic. I want to like say the normal things. But I know that if I do that, it's just going to stoke the fire of his distorted ego. Mm -hmm. And that there's so much more power in not saying anything at all. But that is the rose, baby. God damn, that was challenging. I'm sorry you went through that. But also at the same time, it's like such a a testament. Yeah. I think it was a gift. And I think that last night the text was like a test to see like, like the universe was like, okay, you walked away from this very clearly, even though he's like hot and successful and whatever you were like, this isn't for me. The test of the text comes in. Are you really saying you're ready for something healthy or are Mm. you going to fucking dabble in this garbage? Right. That's like what it felt like to me where I was like wanting the other guy to text me. And then this one texted me and I'm like, wait, no, the truth is I do not want broken people in my life. Amen. Goodbye. Goodbye. So, Rosie Thorne, but I feel like I'm getting closer to something good. I feel that. Does the audience Deeply. feel like celebrating? Because I feel like everyone feels really bad for me. No one feels bad for you. Everybody, <laughs> though, I will say, like, I think it's really cool how open and honest you are about that portion of your life because it's super relatable. Thank you. And you're a prize. Thank you so much. So that's that. And that's so, the part I just need to learn to believe. On the topic of boys we're texting with. Yeah. My rose. <laughs> is Really, um, really good segue, honey. My... Boyfriend Joey Greer 
A.K. Jebbie Greer on Instagram. Jebby oh yeah, <laughs> she doesn't even know her goddamn boyfriend. Has been working on a comedy album that I've been lucky enough to bear witness to this creation for the. I think it's been a year and a half, but it might have been more of him. I love how he was just silently working. Silently on Silently working anything. on this, doing self-producing, creating, bringing in so many other talented people in his life onto the album. It mm-hmm. was such a work of collaboration and such a testament to his level of comedic genius that mm. is so fun that we know him. We get to kind of experience it. And um, Joey's my favorite at a party. I'm really just so— but don't tell myself. <laughs> I'm just really so proud of him. And it's such a fun, cool album. It reminds me, and we were talking about this, like those old Adam Sandler albums. Adam who? Sandler. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what the hell happened here? It's like such it's an homage to that. Really fun. So, um, what's it called? It's called Good Night with Joey Greer. He goes, Good night. And guess who came up with the title? You did? Good one. Hey it's now. so funny. I really want everyone to listen it's to it. It's on Spotify. And I kind of want to try to get him to come on the show to, to talk a little bit about it one day. He's welcome here. Maybe he, I might know a guy who could help get him on. Yeah, that's so we can make that happen. Um, but everyone should check it out. Let's have Joey on the podcast. Yes, that'd be oh cute. Oh, my God. I want that for us. Okay. I'm going to text him right now and see if he's All available. Right. Do it. I love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my rose. It's just really fun to see people you love doing what they love. That's so and sweet. So I am really excited about wow. it. Wow. Congratulations, Joey Greer. Yeah. At Jebby Grieber. <laughs> Thanks for correcting me. I'm like, I don't know. Um, anyway, wow, wow, wow. I I can't even express into words how special it was sitting down with Marianne. I had this moment during the conversation. So for years, I've listened to going listened to Return to Love on audiobook. It's kind of this book that I would always be my go-to when I was trying to fall asleep. <laughs> and as we heard in this episode, she's got such a specific soothing voice yeah. that I think the first five minutes of the conversation, I was just hypnotized you by were. her voice. I was looking at you and I was like, I, was like, I, was like, I better uh, start talking because <laughs> she's in a state right now. And then her, she has this, I mean, there's obviously she's written a number of books, but she has these uh, daily meditations, one for every single day. And mm-hmm. so like, that's something that I w- was always a go-to for me. Again, like hearing her voice. Elizabeth was in like tantric connection. I was like, here we are. Hey, we're on a show. Oh, I'm supposed to talk too. Right. Got it. All right. So um, it just is a treat. It's just so fun to meet people who have played, who don't even know it, but have played such important roles in our lives. This has been happening frequently lately in the best way possible. And it's always kind of the best when they... You meet them and they're incredible and they're loving and so amazing. Live up to the hype. So thank you Mm -hmm. to that. That's just a rose of a rose. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Go to Marianne 2020. Throw some throw some donations. If all of our listeners just maybe threw you know a couple 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 dollars that way, we could make a huge impact. Yeah. So um, we need to keep this conversation going. So thank you again to Marianne and thanks to all of our listeners. If you're liking this show, we would love for you to let us know by writing us a little review and leaving a rating on iTunes. Consider it a love note and a thank you. We'd appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, We'll see you next week. I'm Elizabeth Cott. I'm Stephanie Sambare. Namaste listening. Bye. Yes, that's a retrograde.